Hey, welcome to the Play, Move, Improve podcast. You're listening to Robin Papworth. I'm a mum of three little ones, an exercise physiologist, developmental educator and early learning speaker. I'll be empowering you to set up engaging play activities to improve children's development, health and learning outcomes. Thank you for listening. Hi, Robin Papworth from Play, Move, Improve. I've received a great question about a child's development from a preschool supervisor. So I wanted to share you a background of what that question was and to also give you some real life classroom experiences that I've had in my experience through trauma and through developmental delay. So this particular question was about a five-year-old boy who is currently in kindergarten and he has was born with a heart defect. So he has had trauma, not just from the physical condition itself, so the, obviously his heart not giving his body and his brain enough oxygen, but also from the trauma experience of being in hospital. To give you an idea of what I've worked with with children similar to this young boy is some children can present in unusual ways if they've been from a traumatic experience very young. A particular girl that came straight to mind when I heard this question was a little girl who we weren't sure what was challenging her so I sat in the classroom for three sessions and just observed her behavior and observed her play skills and what I was watching from her was that she wasn't on the autistic spectrum. I wouldn't have put it in that regard. And what I noticed in that was that she wanted to play with others and she wanted to interact with others, but she wasn't sure how. She wasn't able to initiate play. She wasn't able to think up her own ideas or if she finally went to a PlayStation and found an idea to play with, she then wasn't able to invite her friends in. Usually when she would talk in a play situation, she would talk out of context. So say, for example, she was playing in the school corner and her friends were trying to play schools and they were trying to pretend that they were about to go to school. One was the teacher, one was the student. She was sitting on the phone calling her mum and was unable to get away from the phone uh, the you know the idea that she had with the phone and was unable to follow her friend's lead with the teacher activity but when her friends left her she then sort of looked around and, and wanted to engage with them so what I was looking at there was why we weren't engaging um, some questions I would ask in this situation was are they an only child have they done much imaginative play at home with their parents it's always asking those questions but that was the key that I was watching she wanted to play but she didn't know how Another thing that she was really wary of this particular girl, and I'm guessing this boy would be similar, is she had trouble with dealing with adults who she didn't know. So for example, me coming into the classroom, it took her quite a while to warm up. And that's with me using all of my play therapy tricks to try and get her to engage with me. She really studied my body so much to the point that when I came back the second session, she remembered that I'd changed glasses and she remembered that I had a different scrunchie in my hair. That's how hypervigilant this little girl was and how much attention she made to me. So I started to put these puzzle pieces together Challenges with interacting with their peers, challenges with initiating play, challenges with interacting with adults and being very hypervigilant with what that adult looks like, sounds like, and what they're doing here. She was always sort of wondering, who, what are they doing here? Who's that? When I put all these pieces together, I started to think, well, my first question was, what challenges has this child had in their newborn or infancy? One of the questions that I often ask is, were they premature? 
Because what we see in some children who are premature is they can have sensory processing issues. They can have issues in the classroom, especially if they've been in NICU units for quite a while. What that would do for a baby is they would be in constant light and sound. Their day and night would be mixed up because obviously you'd have night staff running the hospital as if it was during the day. They also don't get that initial human touch, so they don't get to really nestle into mum and get that smell of mum and that tactile sensation from mum. They are really quite hospitalised and, and institutionalised in a way to get the medical care that they need. So that's when I started to ask the families what background has this little girl had? Has she been a premature baby? And what her particular situation was, was it was a kidney issue she had to have a kidney transplant so similar to this little boy that this preschool supervisor has asked about really significant health conditions with really prolonged stays in hospitals is traumatic for children it's traumatic in that all these different adults are coming and approaching them and they're in quite a vulnerable state they don't have the strength the physical strength to stand up for themselves and as little ones they don't have the verbal strength to stand up for themselves either not saying that hospital and nursing staff are horrible to children. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that they are, you know, are cruel or deliberately traumatise a child, but the process and the experience of hospitalisation for children is traumatic. So we have to really address the trauma and the triggers of that. So what I was looking at for this little girl was what were her triggers. Her triggers were an unusual adult. She didn't like when adults stood over her or stood near her. She was a lot more engaged if I was sitting down beside her or even at some points I side laid, I laid beside her. So I was in the vulnerable position instead of the little girl feeling like she was in the vulnerable position. I always had my hands in front of me showing her my hands were empty or showing her that there were toys in my hands. Coming from before I was a child development therapist, I worked in dementia. And when I worked in dementia, it's a similar thing. We don't go into the bedroom of someone or into the clinic of someone who's had dementia and have our hands in our pockets. Because as you can imagine, a lot of people from dementia have come from a traumatic background, whether that be from the war, whether that be from a, an un, a, you know, unfortunate childhood. So always I have my hands open. So then there's no sort of worry of what is she doing? What is she holding? So I do that with the children as well to drop the, the anxiety and to help them engage. But coming back to the question, trauma can really impact a child in the classroom. This particular boy, one of his symptoms, so from the preschool supervisor's question, the, the little boy struggles with getting anyone giving him, giving him attention. So he doesn't really like to come out in sharing time. He doesn't like music and movement possibly because when people look at him, and if you can imagine, he's been a little boy in a hospital with a heart defect. He's had lots of people look at him, probably doctors and nurses and student doctors and student nurses and radiologists and all these people constantly looking at him. You can really understand that nervousness that he has in that situation. So what I would encourage in that situation would be to try and have more small group setups for him and see if that helps, whether it be setting up a small group and he shares about his weekend in a small group, you might have red group, green group, yellow group, blue group, and they all share about their weekends together in small groups. It might even be that he draws a picture and hands you the message of his picture that he'd like you to relay for him. The other question was, is he avoiding music and movement because he doesn't like to have attention put on him? Or is he avoiding music and movement because he struggles developmentally? This question will cater for lots of different children that you work with. I see music and movement as a real highlight to lots of children's developmental delays. We have children where English is a second language and they struggle with music and movement. 
children who have still have their reflexes struggle with music and movement, children who have developmental delay struggle with music and movement. And then if you've had a child who's been in NICU or hospital and you're playing lots of music and lots of really big movement with lots of kids moving around and kids get really excitable and noisy, then you can understand that this is a challenge for them. When I look at how to deal with this, I try and look at what the problem is. So when we look at music and movement, if you did the movements without the music, who can do it and who can't? Because the music for someone from English as a second language can be overwhelming. It's like if I was to listen to a song in French, I would nearly be nowhere near as engaged to it as if I listened to a song that was in English. So if we take the music away and did the same movements, do you have more children able to do that movement? Or is this particular boy more able to do that movement when the music is off? If there's no significant difference there, I would then do music and movement in a small group and it would be a song that's always familiar to him. So not an unfamiliar song, a song that he's heard a lot. Is he able to do that better in a small group or is it in a large group? If it's making no difference, turning the music off, taking him into a small group then we would look at his developmental skills so on my website let contact me and i can send you a school readiness motor skills assessment tool so it shows you all of the motor skills from ages two to five that i typically look at and it's a checklist of where they should be at ideally with their motor skills we can look at whether it's a motor development delay and the other question that this great preschool supervisor had was, could it be his reflexes? Now, I could do a webinar for you for reflexes. Just email me if you're interested. Reflexes are basically when we're born, we are all born with reflexes. It's how we learn to crawl, roll, drink off mum, drink out of a bottle. And all these reflexes, by the time we hit ages between ages three and four, we shouldn't have these reflexes anymore because the body should have discovered that it can move and it can find its own food and it can play independently but some children still have these reflexes it would be understandable that this particular boy may still have his reflexes especially if he spent prolonged time in a hospital bed the way that we get rid of our reflexes and we call retain our reflexes is through physical movement so if he's been restricted in his ability to move whether it be because they don't want his heart rate to elevate or whether he's been restricted to move because he's been in a hospital bed then it may be that he still has his reflexes again let me know if you're interested in a webinar i can run that for you and i can show you the test that we do for children with their reflexes the main thing we want to see is what these triggers are if it's loud sounds then we just make the music a little bit quieter or we position him away from the speaker if it's interaction with adults and he doesn't want adults looking at him then we might do it where we're behind a screen we might play like a shadow puppet type role where he's still doing the movements a small group still doing the movements but we're doing a shadow puppet show something where he feels that people aren't watching him if you let me know, I hope this has answered some of your questions and give you something to think about when we go back to kinder. Let me know your thoughts if you have any more questions. If you go and start to see that the music, turning the music down didn't help or when I gave too much eye contact, it really overwhelmed them. But when I changed my body position and I sat on the ground or I laid in a sideline position to communicate, we got more communication. In particular to the little girl that I helped who had kidney troubles, I gave her a card that said, would you like to play? And then I gave her another card that said, can I play? 
and we use those cards in play situations. So it gave her the ability to give the card to her friend without the social nervousness that she had. What I also made up for her was in the classroom, we made up a schedule of who's in and who's out. So we had adult pictures on the wall of who was to be in today and who was to be out today. And we'll hopefully be enforcing and putting that into place this year when I finally get back into the classroom after this social isolation. But what we're hoping to do is by having a who's in, who's out system, we can take away some of these children's hypervigilance to who is that adult and what are they doing here? If there was actually a photo of who was coming in, what their name was and what their job was, it can take away some of that stress. Again, my main thing for any child from a traumatic background is to show your hands. And it doesn't mean waving them at them. It just means that when you're interacting, have your hands in front of you. Avoid having them in your pockets. Avoid having them behind your back. Avoid having your hands under the tables. I'll be sharing my own story really soon in, in my own book. I'm a child from a traumatic background and I've really discovered that I look for people's hands. I look for whether they're empty or whether they're behind their backs or whether they're what I would perceive a threat to me. I also am really hypervigilant with what people wear. So I'm always mindful that if I'm with children who are like that and they want, zone in on my glasses or my scrunchie or my jumpers, it's a sign that it's not always a sign that they're from a traumatic background, but it's a sign that they're being really hypervigilant. And I want to know why that is because if we can find out why adults are stressing them then we can work it out now i don't want to label any children with a traumatic background preschool supervisor who asked me this question this is just information i don't know exactly the story of what's happened for all these children but it just gives you something else to look for so we can not we don't have to give a diagnosis to children but we just have to try and work out how we can help so my advice to you is to go through those suggestions that I made. Just keep them as a mental note inside your mind. When you have a parent meeting, I don't expect you to go up and go, well, I think that he's traumatized by this. You know, we don't want to put that language into family members. It just causes more worry. But what we can do is if we're really concerned, you can just recommend that they talk to their maternal health nurse or their local doctor and give them the triggers that you're finding. And then those that information about what triggers you've been finding can go towards the health professionals that can help. Hope that's answered your question. Thank you for sending your questions in. If anyone has any other child development questions or classroom-based questions, please feel free to let me know and I'll send you another video. Have a fantastic day and thanks for listening. You have been listening to Robin Papworth, exercise physiologist, developmental educator, speaker, author, mum of three from Play, Move, Improve. If you have enjoyed our content, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify or on our website, playmoveimprove.com.au. Have a great day.